Welcome back to another edition of 7.30 Interviews. Right now you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search We Going In Presents and we'll pop right up. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Right now joined by DJ Skiz. He's DJ for the Halftime Show, toured with Large Professor, Cormega, and a gang of other artists including KRS-One. Produced for any and every artist worth talking about, starting with Sean Price, Rock Marciano, Master Ace, MOP, and most recently Milano Constantine, where they just did an EP together, The Way We Were. DJ Skiz, man, dope to be talking to you, man. Love the new project with Milano, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, appreciate that, man. Great, great intro. Thanks, man. <laughs> Much yeah. appreciated. Nah, man, I mean every word of it yeah. because... You know, as a producer, what I respect most about you is how you've been able to stay true to the beats you do and work with artists that, I don't know you personally, obviously, but I think you guys share the same ethos and the same perspective and outlook on hip hop because you've been able to keep it so consistent and make such great work with artists from Rock Marciano to Sean Price to now Milano. So what's it like, man? I mean, do you work with artists that you feel share that same perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's uh, that's what makes, to me, like the best music. Uh, you know, working with people that you have, whether it's just some type of vibe, some type of, um, yeah, common kind of outlook on the music, um, common, yeah, I don't know, like a certain sound, maybe even like certain music from the past. Um, and just, I don't know, I mean, it, it's, I think that's very important to creating like really good music that stands, the, the, you know, over time um and uh so yeah i mean i try I just try to work with people that uh you know definitely share the same kind of like you said share the same ethos um so yeah and is that how you and milano really came about to work together how did that situation develop uh so yeah i mean i i think i'm sure i met milano during my time at the halftime show uh doing the halftime radio show at some point i you know, that was, I did that from, I guess, 2000 to 2015. Uh, so he came up probably like early 2000s, I'm sure, a um, bunch of times. So, so I knew him through the radio, but we never actually started working together until, you know, much later when I started getting more serious into my production. Um, and I just reached out to him because I've always been a fan of his work um, from the early, like, 12 inches rep for the slums and, um, some of the stuff he's done with P Brothers, stuff like that. So, um, so I just reached out, and, and then uh, you know we just had a good vibe, man. He's a, he's a really solid dude, and um, yeah, we just clicked in the studio and uh, able to, to make some heat. And I definitely want to talk more about the way we were, but I want to grab onto something you just said about how when you got serious about your production. At what point? Because when you're at the halftime show, you're seeing so many artists come through, legends, up and coming artists, and you know, DJ Eclipse had such a great taste for music and working with him had to just expose you to so much. So at what point did you realize that it was important to start taking music production more seriously? Um, well, I mean, I, I think to me, it's also a matter of like, even with the, like with the DJ and stuff, like I, I find that, and, I, and maybe this is also like that era too, it's like, I always felt that like, you know, I, I had to have a certain uh, ability like a certain skill level to like want to put my stuff out there you know what I mean like I didn't want to just throw out try to make music and just throw it out there at whatever stage like I wanted to be comfortable in what I did and feel like it's solid work and you know the beats are dope and and all that stuff so basically you know I was making beats like I started making beats maybe in like maybe around 98 or 2000 or something like that and then um but I you know I, I was messing around but I was always taking the DJing stuff a little more seriously I was you know practicing that craft and then eventually I was like you know I just got more I spent more time working on the beats working on my MPC trying to learn little tricks and you know all that stuff so um, just over the years I felt like my skill level uh, went up so I felt like you know it's, it's, I'm ready basically how much do you think too that the fact that you were DJing influenced your production and made you a better producer and just helped tune your ear to maybe hear samples and hear sounds that maybe producers without that experience might not hear? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's definitely uh, influenced me. I mean, influenced the way I do think that, you know, and, and um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, 
I definitely think there is something to be said for that. I mean, I think you can even tell just by, you know, a lot of kind of the, what we consider like the legendary producers in hip-hop were DJs. I mean, pretty much all of them. Um, they started as DJs and became producers. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's part of, you know, just learning about older music, learning about, um, yeah, what, what makes, what like song structure, all that stuff. Um, even just like intros of records and stuff like that, um, which, you know, DJs really think about, um, you know, when they're, when they're mixing records and all that stuff. So uh, it's definitely something that I would think about as I worked on my production. Definitely. Yeah, very influential. And you look at the way we were, I mean, it's a great album. You know, I love the consistent sound of it. I love the way that Milano is sounding, especially 2017, because I've been a fan of his work for a long time. You know, whenever uh, the Grime team would send his work into Hip Hop Game, it was no question he would get posted. But Milano's biggest thing was we just, ne- you know, it wasn't a consistent uh, flow of music. And you got him sounding, you know, great. And, and to get a full length project like this on a big scale is so important. I think just for the music in general, but how important was this for you and Milano to get this project out and have it be a cohesive album for him? Yeah, it was very important. I mean, I, I think, you know, I've worked with, with a, you know, a lot of cats and like, I don't know, this, this project definitely took a while. I mean, we, we recorded songs um, a couple of years ago we started and, uh, you know, we recorded kind of, we had like a good I don't know if it was a if it was a year or so, but just recording off and on, and, and um, you know the, the songs were just dope, man. They were just coming out really good. Um, like I said, we had a good vibe, and and, um, and then you know we had Fame from MLP. He was came to the lab one day, and he was like, "Listen, he heard what we were recording, and he was like, yo, let me get on that as a hook. So he's on there.' Um, and Milano reached out to Conway." Um, and Conway did a verse, which was super ill. And then I reached out to the Big Twin. He got on there, and it just kind of came together, man. Like, um, you know, and, and uh, it, was, it was also interesting because, to me, because, and I think for Marco too, is that like we've never done projects where we're kind of doing the beats just two people for one artist kind of thing. Um, so that was just kind of a different thing, and, and so we had to really think about how we wanted to. Uh, arrange the record and stuff like that and, and little things like that which I think are really important when you put together an album just the arrangement the transitions between the songs and so forth because Marco and I have a different style and our beats are going to sound different so we wanted to really make it sound cohesive. So what was that sequencing like because that really can make or break a record you know with with how the Absolutely. story is told and how the, the arrangement goes you know what was that process like? Um, so basically so we had the record um and actually, a uh, good friend of mine who have kind of helps me run my, my label, uh, his name's Tariq, and I've known him since like late 90s, and he's a, he used to be a hip-hop DJ, and now he's more like a soul DJ, but he, uh, he's just got a great ear for this stuff, so he was very helpful. Um, he's always helpful to me in that respect, um, and we kind of bounce ideas off each other and, and kind of think about what, you know, maybe we need a skit here, go into this next song, like, this seems a little awkward this transition going from this like up-tempo song to this uh, slower song stuff like that um and then yeah it just, it just i don't know we, we just kind of came together and then we we i want to record like a an intro that eventually became the interlude um for the record and that's just kind of split it up nicely and um but yeah i mean that's something that i, I just feel like is very 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 important um the the, the arrangement the, just all the stuff that after you know the songs are recorded and obviously that's the most important thing the songs but but that uh those transitions and, and you know just bring it all together is so important this is somebody who used to listen to like nwa records and stuff like that or still so what was it like working with milano and really seeing his artistic process and how his songs come together um well it, it was dope i mean milano is a he's a good writer and he's he, he really um, like he studies at home and he's constantly writing um, you know which I would think most MCs who are serious about their craft you know should do I mean he, he's always writing it's not like he just writes when he's in the studio when he's about to record a song he's always writing like he's at home you know when he's not working he's at home chilling like he'll write like that's what he likes to do so 
Um, he's a, you know an actual writer, so uh, it's dope. I mean, he would just come in to the lab sometimes, and he just had something written that was just crazy um, to one of the beats that I'd sent him, or you know something we had we had worked on previously, or whatever. But yeah, man, it's dope. He's, he's an excellent writer. And why is it so important for you to get a Milano record out there and to make sure that Milano's legacy is continued? Uh, well, I think, you know, uh, basically I just think he's dope. I mean, I just think he's a dope MC. I think he uh, he was kind of always, like I said, he, he kind of never came out with a real LP to me. Uh, he had these great 12 inches, like in the early 2000s, and, um, he, you know, he put out some dope stuff, but he never really had, like, a solid an LP LP, and so... Um, you know, after recording a couple songs with him, I just it just kind of came together like that. I mean, it wasn't like when we first got up, we were like, let's make an album. It just kind of happened over time. And, you know, we, we looked at the material that we had and, um, you know, we liked working with each other. We had a good vibe and we, uh, I don't know, we just felt like we the stuff that we were making was special and it was worthy of, you know, a collection, worthy of, a, of an album. So, uh, but yeah, I'm happy to, to, to contribute, you know, to his his uh, career you know definitely and it seems like there wasn't a real issue in terms of recording because he had the beats he wrote and then you guys recorded together so it seems to me like the, the songs must have come together pretty easily and pretty fluidly if there was that kind of preparation being done before the studio sessions yeah absolutely I mean it was some of it but it was before the studio sessions like I was sending the beats um, and he would just come to the lab with, you know, with his uh, with his verse written, or sometimes he would just come through and I had a beat on my MPC and he would just start writing on the spot. Um, but yeah, you know, and also Milano's a dope producer in his own right, and he's he's uh, you know he's like a he's a DITC guy. I mean, he he loves to dig too. So he sometimes he would bring through like the records to me, like VHL yeah, skits, like try to flip this and shit like that. Um, none of those actually made the record, but like, but he would do that, you know what I mean? So he has a great ear too. Um, but it's just a dope cat to work with, all, you know, in general. Do you guys plan on doing more work together too and more EPs or albums? Yeah, I think so. I do think so. I mean, you know, we'll see, uh, the, you know, the, the reception has been great so far for this record and, um, you know, it's tough. Um, you know, as indie artists, man, it's tough to get out there. So it's, uh, especially when, you know, the, the, it's just a different time now and, and of course like somebody like Milano who's, who's kind of been around somewhat in the past but never really had his you know like never been consistently recording hasn't really had that had a major never been signed to a major label never had that that major backing so it's always challenging just to get get him out there and get people to to pay attention so um you know we're gonna do our best and uh, see what happens but I, I think you know I would love to keep working with him I think he's dope so um yeah, probably. So, you know, you mentioned a good point there, just about being indie artists and how hard it is to really, you know, push music these days. And, and there's so much music out there between SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. What does success look like for the way we were? Great question. Um, you know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to really it's hard to uh, it's hard to quantify exactly. But I will say. Success comes with, um, with. I, I mean, to me, it's like I want as many people to hear the record as possible. And I, you know, going into this like a record like this, I don't expect that it's a, you know, make huge sums of money. I mean, I'm just, I don't because I know what the what the industry is like. I, you know, I've been around for a long time. I, I get it. And you know, like I said, Milano, as dope as he is, um, that does not translate into sales uh, in this day and age, as, as you know. So, you know, it's um, it's basically, you know, it's a constant struggle, but I think success is for as many people to hear it as possible and um, and also hopefully get Milano on the road um, so he can do some shows. Um, hopefully we'll get out, you know, overseas at some point, um, you know, because I think he, he's, he's talented, you know, and I think uh, he brings something really dope to the table and um so yeah i mean that that would be success you know as many people as possible hear the record and then um you know it just gives brings milano some other opportunities and you know it's interesting too because artists like milano even if they get tour dates i mean the money's not going to be 
astronomical and it's it's unlikely right. that you know most artists as much as we respect them can pay pay their bills solely on being an, an MC and a lot of artists that I've talked to have regular jobs and they have part-time jobs or, or full-time jobs to, to pay the bills because hip-hop doesn't do it so looking at you yeah. as a producer you know a lot of the artists that you work with have respect through the roof but you also can't pay the bills just on respect so how do you balance you know working with such quality artists but also artists that aren't making a ton of sales or money in 2017 yeah it's tough i mean that's that's kind of the million dollar question no pun intended it's uh it's just like it, it's i don't know it's it's a constant struggle i mean trying to get as a producer you know i want to yeah i want to be able to, to to live and eat food um so forth so you know it's, it's kind of a balancing act and i i it is challenging to find um you know ways to make money when you're you know i i love to produce i mean this is what i do so that you want to be able to work with different artists whether you know some artists maybe that, that have a better track record of selling more records or somebody that's like new and up, up and coming who um, is kind of popping or whatever um, try to get placements like that um, and then I think also in this day and age a big thing is, is just quantity um, you know being prolific getting a lot of material out there is a big part of, of I think making money you know and trying to kind of get as much stuff out there as possible and hopefully you know people you know something something catches you know and, and people really um you know whether whether somebody um makes a hit record or just uh you know something that's more successful so um yeah but it is a challenge man. It's, it's a tough industry so i think i know a lot of people too with, with you know part-time jobs or whatever and you know milano has a job that, you know he works as well so um you know gotta put food on the table any means necessary definitely and one thing i found when i was at hip-hop game full-time and i wasn't working and i wasn't teaching you know the pressure was really on me to do a ton of interviews and to to keep the clicks at a consistent rate or keep them increasing so i find i'm doing interviews with artists that i don't necessarily really enjoy their music like you know for example like right. ace hood type artists and I'm interviewing these guys, but mm -hmm. like, I'm not loving it. Like, it's, it's more like a job. And then once I stopped working for Hip Hop Game full time and, and I didn't rely on that money, all of a sudden it was like, okay, I can interview Cormega because I absolutely love Cormega's music and I'm a diehard fan, but I don't have to take interviews with artists that I don't want to. Like, there's no more little flip interviews and I'm okay with that. I'm happy with that. So working mm -hmm. full time sometimes takes some of that pressure off of feeling that need you know where, where do you stand with that in terms of producing is what you love it's yeah. your passion but you're also looking at sales and, and and keeping the bills paid at the end of each month great point i mean it's uh you know that's that's a great point i mean i think having you know for for an artist that's not you know making enough money um you know having another job is is huge i mean because yeah and i and i think it probably does affect, you know, the actual art, you know what I mean? If you're struggling and worrying about, you know, paying your rent or whatever, then, you know, I think that it's going to have an effect on the music, on the art. So, um, and I think, you know, I, for me, I mean, I, I do what I do and I, I try not to, you know, I've, I've experimented with different sounds and I, I hope my sound continues to evolve because I, I think that's important. But, um, but like, you know, I, I definitely... I'm not out there trying to make something that I think will sell just because I think it'll, because somebody else made a record that sounded like that, uh, that's is selling. So I'm not going to go out and make that same beat. Um, you know, there's certain trends sonically that I think, you know, that I can experiment with it. Cause I think that's cool. Like to, you know, to, to try different things and to experiment, especially with the way things are in a certain day and age and the way, you know, a lot of people just love hi-hats these days, you know, so, you know, maybe I, I fuck around and fuck around with some hi-hats and, and do something, you know, with me, but yet still uses some, some elements, some sonic elements of, you know, some of the stuff that's out today. So, uh, I don't know, I'm, I kind of went on a tangent, I think, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. And 
you look at what you said earlier, you know, where you just try to keep a lot of music coming, a consistent stream of music. How do you balance the quality and quantity where you're still releasing music, but you're not releasing it so fast that it feels rushed or that it's not up to DJ Skiz standards? Yeah, I mean, that's important. And, and uh, I, yeah, and I think as my career, as I kind of get further in my career and it's, it becomes more and more important to me, you know, just the fact of like making sure that stuff is exactly how I want to sound, making sure my mixes and mastering is on point, art will work, just all that stuff. And because, you know, it's going to be there forever, whether it's on the internet or on a piece of vinyl or whatever, but it's out there. So, um, you know, that quality is always the most important thing to me. And, you know, as much as I want to get, you know, so much stuff out there, uh, you know, to, you know, when people don't see you, it's like they're not thinking about you. They say, you know, like it's the social media stuff. Like everybody wants to be out there all the time. Um, and you know, but at the end of the day, man, like the quality is what's gonna uh, make your legacy. You know what I'm saying? So I, that shit is the most important to me. Definitely. And even though you haven't been producing for that long. You know, you're already thinking about your, your legacy. What do you want that legacy to be? If, if we do an interview 10 years from now and we're looking back on your discography, what should we be talking about? Um, I think it goes back to what you said in the beginning of the interview, which is just like uh, kind of staying true to my sound and um, what I think is, is dope and kind of and working with artists that I share, um, you know, have a common ethos or whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, but also somebody that is able to do a lot of different styles and a lot of different you know different things like you know like I did kind of an East Coast record this BQE record and I did Cruise Control which is more like West Coast sound and just kind of do different things um, that had some versatility you know not just kind of one one trick pony um, so yeah that's pretty much it I think no doubt and Cruise Control came out over the summer great album love the the different artists you featured there and and the way that they all flowed together and just the way that that album sounded the the production the the griminess the the minimalism the the use of those vintage samples and the way you flip those you know just a very enjoyable listen all together and and, and a great compilation in, in an era where we don't really get a lot of great compilations you know what was it like putting cruise control together in an era where the compilation is kind of dying out. First of all, thank you, sir. Um, and uh, I think it was, uh, you know, it's fun. It's fun for me. I mean, making a compilation album is fun. A little stressful at times when you're working with so many different people. Um, and, uh, you know, it can be a little tricky, but but it's fun, man. Like, that shit is just fun for me because it's, it's kind of piecing all these songs together. Um, and it goes back to what we were talking about with the arrangement. I mean, that plays a big part to me. Um, and, you know, having artists on songs together that fit, you know, not just slapping them together on songs just because they're there or whatever. Um, you know, trying to think about who would sound good with each other on a record. Um, you know, all that stuff is, is, is really fun for me and, um, and it challenges me. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's dope too because I, I think it's also a cool seeing artists who have never worked with each other, you know, get on a record together. Like, that shit is dope to me, so um, that's another plus. But yeah, man, I actually really enjoy doing those compilations with producer album things and, and definitely might see another one in the near future. That's awesome. What was the best moment for you in putting Cruise Control together? Best moment? Um, I guess just getting the final product like getting the cds i mean just having it done was probably the best moment but um uh i'm just trying to think of like a specific recording session i remember one specifically comes to mind uh when i was recording a joint with um, big twin and huskington out in um kind of east la area um where i was at and um yeah it was just a good vibe i just remember that session we were just uh smoking a lot of weed and uh made like two songs I think two of the songs that are on the album we recorded uh, that day and uh, it was just a beautiful day and uh, we was making some dope music so very memorable and how do you think the fact that 
you know, you're in Brooklyn, but also have those West Coast roots. How does that influence your production and the music you listen to and the music you produce? Um, I think that, you know, I think where you're where you're at has a huge influence, just the way you're inspired and, just, you know, the sounds around you and all that stuff. And now, right, like I'm speaking to you from, from L.A. right now, and, um, you know, like, Living in LA just is a totally different vibe from living in New York, and, and it's you know it's just kind of a completely different uh, you know daily way of life. And I think that you know as well as we know, I mean, there's a sound of the West Coast, there's this LA sound, and there's, there you know was a New York sound, I would say. Um, and uh, you know it, it's, they're they're very fine, but I think um, you know I, it's. I don't know, like 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 I said, cruise control to me is like more laid back. It's just it feels more more like some West Coast shit versus BQE, my first record in 2015, which is just some hardcore like New York boom bap shit. Um, and you know, at that point I was living in Queens and Brooklyn, um, and it just uh, I don't know, it just feels like that was that time for me um, when I was there, and, and it just feels like that time, you know, those, those songs. Whereas the cruise control just feels like some West Coast shit. Um, so I, I think it's important, you know, where you're at definitely influences the, the sound. And how do you describe your evolution as a producer? If you go back to BQE or some of your earlier works to now and how you've grown, you know, how do you listen to your old stuff and, and compare it to who you are today and, and, and you know, describe your growth? Um, I would say, you know, I, I think like I'm using, I'm, at this point, like, I'm a little more open to experimenting with, uh, um, you know, just different, uh, you know, ways of making the music, like, you know, of course, like adding more instrumentation and stuff like that and trying to, um, uh, you know, use different way of dust and you know, comfortable, I think, and, and open to, to just like trying more things. And I think, you know, when you're, you know, before I was, I was, you know, my shit was boom bap, I don't know, chopping samples, you know, and, and still do that to this day but it's like um, I feel like I'm just a little bit more open to using other other mediums and other I don't know software and sound and shit like that um, just make my beats a little more interesting so what equipment do you use? I use uh, an MPC 2000XL but I actually just started using a 2500 um, shout out to my man Evidence who kind of pushed me to, to check that um, an Alchemist uh, as well and uh, it's, it's a dope machine as well. And, and I mean, I, I basically use both of those machines and I use um, like contact, Native Instruments contact uh, on the computer as well to play some, some sounds and um, stuff like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I have like a keyboard and turntable. So and how, how are you like the 2500? I love the 2500. Um, I'm just starting to get really comfortable with it now. Uh, takes a little bit of a transition going from the 2000 XL to the 2500 but uh, just because they're slightly different operating systems and like just the way that they're laid out is slightly different um, but it's dope man like it definitely has some elements that the 2000 does not have and it really kind of gives it an advantage um, I think so I'm hoping that uh, it kind of maybe it changes my, my beats a little bit for the better um, but we'll see yeah and you know if it inspires me to make some shit then that's good basically so hopefully it does that and I've, I've talked to producers who over the time over the years have always said you know this is my equipment I'm sticking to it I still use what I've always used and I can understand getting very comfortable personally me I've always been on Fruity Loops but I've also never been a producer on the kind of level where it's my career so you know I look at I have some experience but it's not the same you know how do you look at when it's time to, to make a change or you're ready to say, okay, I'm going to try this versus, you know what, the 2000XL, it's worked, it's working, I'm going to stay with it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, I, this transition that I made is pretty minor. I mean, it's like, because I'm going from the 2000 to the 2500, so really, you know, they're, they're very similar. They're both hardware. They're both, um, you know, these analog machines and very similar, you know, even the buttons. Are almost exactly the same so it's not that big of a deal you know it's not that big of a transition but like going from say like an MPC to a renaissance that would be a bigger jump for me because you're going from 
you know, just using the hardware to using the hardware plus your um, the computer, you know, and, and working on a screen. Um, and I do do some stuff like in Pro Tools um, on a screen, but um, but it's definitely, you know, most of my time is spent on the actual hardware. So it would be, uh, you know, so it, it kind of, it's tough, though. I mean, I, I totally hear that, you know, producers want to stay on one machine because that's what they do. And that's what that's where they make their dopest shit. And, um, you know, you, you want to be efficient in what you do and you want to feel comfortable. And um, so I get it. You know, whatever sounds good, really. I mean, whatever machine sounds good whatever thing you're able to use to make the dopest shit is what you should use and so what's your production process like in in you know a dj skiz beat really coming to life you know from start to finish well i basically i light like 45 candles um and i i kind of just light them around the room in different areas and um and then i just smoke like a, a wooly blunt um and then um, I do like some crack, and then uh, and then I just kind of go in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, nah, I do. I don't do that actually. I but, was um, say, man, but like, what it, I do do, you know, it, it got me a little worried there, man. <laughs> <laughs> nah. that, that was my so, nervous laugh. Where it's like I don't know if I should laugh or not. <laughs> no, no, definitely uh, don't do that. But um, I basically, you know, I, I listen to music. First of all, I listen to music, which um, is key. And I get into, I listen for sounds, I listen to, uh, you know, chords, whatever it is. And then, um, you know, I'll like wake up and I'll listen to music, um, samples, whatever, um, just to get a vibe. And then I'll start, uh, you know, chopping something up or I'll chop up some drums. Um, and then I just go from there, man. I just, you know, whether it's, you know, chopping up the sample, adding drums and bass and so forth, or it's, uh, uh, you know, like creating a, 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 a drum drum loop and then, um, you know, trying to find some samples to go on top of it. So it just kind of depends. But that's pretty much it, man. And then I record into Pro Tools um, and then do some, some uh, automation and stuff like that. And then that's about it. And some of the best production today is very minimalist you know you listen to Kai you listen to Rock Marciano you know mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have that feeling of the overproduced sample that you know people like Just Blaze and the Heatmakers really popularized where you have the sample but it's like the sample is on steroids you know what do you think of this right. er, this production trend and this technique where it's not overdone and in, in its essence it is very minimal right now I think it's dope. I mean, I, I think it's dope, um, but I think I think there just needs to be a balance. I mean, I, I think like to me, you know, like uh, it's just kind of yeah. I don't know. I just think there should be a balance, and and I think, uh, but I, I love that minimalist shit. Like a lot of it, I think it's super dope. So, you know, but at the same time, sometimes it can be a little boring to me um, if it's really slow and I don't know. It, it's vibey shit. You know what I mean? It's vibey. It's nice when you smoke in an L or something but it's just like sometimes it's a little boring but um, and I feel like a lot of hip hop now is really slow um, you know it's, it's in that you know 68 to 80 BPM range um, you know whether it's trap shit or um, or just slow hip hop you don't really have a lot of more up tempo stuff and that's a big change I think um, besides just the minimalist part of it uh, it's just like not as much up tempo uh, like in you know in the 90s type stuff um, which which is good sometimes I mean I think that brings out the best in rappers sometimes it's up tempo um, and uh, it's a little more exciting but but yeah I mean you know the minimalist shit is dope man like Rock Marciano shit Ka yeah, Ka is so ill um, I love his shit and um, yeah so you know I think it's just the balance I, 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 I like both you know what I mean I like minimalist stuff and a little bit more produced beats as well so how do you find that balance yourself in terms of the drums because you know 10 years ago the drums were usually either hard as can be or they had that like neptune timberland vibe where it was a little more abstract or just a little more out there where now you know the drums can really go any direction or just not even be there at all how do you look at 
DJ Skiz drums and making sure that the drums fit what you're trying to get across? Um, yeah, I mean, that's it really, is making sure they fit. Like, if I have a particular sample, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have a sample and it just doesn't call for drums or big drums. It just doesn't, it doesn't need it. Um, it, it in fact, adding those big drums just changes the vibe completely and maybe for not for the better, you know? So I think it's really just doing whatever makes it sound or feel the best uh, at the end of the day. And, um, you know, it, it's sometimes, you know, I wanted to see some big ass drums and, and that are just, you know, knocking and, you know, if a sample or the way I chop something calls for it. But sometimes it's, it's too much, like, I don't know. Some people love big drums all the time, but to me, it's like, sometimes that shit is just not helping to me. So, it just depends. And you go basically, you know, on feeling, and, and it, does it feel right, does it not? Is, is that is that your main, yep. is that that gut feeling? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's based on feeling. I mean, I think that's uh, how you got to do it. I mean, I think, you know, if you get too technical and too into the that stuff, it, it's, it kind of loses something. I think it's important to just go off feeling and the way it makes you feel. And um, that's going to make, I think, just, you know, the, the, the best shit. How do you balance when an artist might ask you for a change or, or a revision to a beat? and you're not necessarily feeling that request, do you make the change anyway? Or do you ever have to say that we might just have creative differences and I can't do what you're asking? Um, yeah, I guess it's happened maybe a couple of times. It doesn't happen often, but I guess on occasion it's happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, I've usually been able to compromise on something. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's best to like, you know, get somebody else to add their opinion. Um, somebody, some third party who's not involved in actual recording. Um, I think that's a good thing to do, just to, to have somebody else's ears on it. And um, but you know, I mean, I don't know. I guess you got to compromise. I'm not, I'm not incredibly stubborn, but uh, but you know, I'm stubborn enough. I guess with my with my beats. Definitely. And you know, when you look at you spent 15 years at the halftime show. What was that experience like? What did you take away from that? Man, a lot. I mean, it was uh, so. Mem I mean, so many memorable moments. There was so many great, uh, great nights there. I mean, I think you know some of the more memorable nights were just our anniversary shows that you know Eclipse uh, kind of spearheaded, and he would plan these amazing anniversary shows where you know we we had like forty rappers come up and um, like for producers and producers would play the beats live and, and um, you know the rappers would just go in over there on the air live on the air and uh, that was just really exciting amazing to put together um, and uh, but you know I think the biggest thing I would take out of all that is like how important relationships are in you know in the industry in music and, and you know I think it's you know it's key I mean just having these relationships and um good relationships with, with other artists and people in the industry. Um, I think it's very important, um, you know, especially for a new artist if you're just starting out, like, it's very important to establish, you know, good relationships with people um, and, uh, you know, so that, you know, because you never know when you're going to work with somebody in the future or you're going to, you know, and so forth. So, um, and I think you know, I was able to really make some great relationships that lasted, you know, that lasted many, many years from that radio show. Um, so it was, uh, it was awesome. And, and, and also just the music part of it. I mean, just being able to be exposed to so many artists over the years and giving, you know, artists a chance to, to get their music heard, you know, on that New York City airwaves was a pretty big responsibility. And, you know, I took that very seriously and Eclipse did, of course. And um, so we... You know, it was a, it was a we, we felt it was a responsibility to rep the right way and, and you know, play the artists we thought were dope and um, and give artists, you know, a, a shot who weren't necessarily playing on Hot 97 or whatever. Um, so we had a, a major role um, in, you know, in the grand scheme of the industry and hip hop. And who were some of the guests that came through that really surprised you in terms of just what they did during the freestyle session or their story? Who really stands out to you? 
I do remember, I mean, one memorable night was when Kanye West came up, and this was after um, Blueprint 2 just dropped, Jay-Z's Blueprint 2, and um, Kanye came up with Rhymefest from Chicago, and um, Kanye was, you know, talking about how he did the majority of the beats on the Blueprint 2, and he, uh, he, he him and Rhymefest were, uh, you know, talking about what they were doing, and then... Um, we like we had all the artists do that came up to the show. We had the rhyme, and Kanye started Riz, who was on the turntables at the time. Riz doing the beat, and Kanye was like, "Nah, nah, nah! Like I, I only rhyme on my own beat." And so Riz put on I don't know what it was, H to the Izzo, or I don't know some beat from from the record from Blueprint Two that Kanye did, and um. And then they start rapping, and Rhymefest started rapping, and Rhymefest was like dissing Kanye about only rhyming to his own beat during the rhyme. Like they were kind of battling each other on the air, and um, it was pretty dope. So that was, that was very memorable. That's huge, and, and that's how you know you've made it when you've got artists like Kanye, especially at that time. Kanye was one of the hottest names for you know during that Blueprint Blueprint Two era. And when you can have that balance between an artist like Kanye coming up, but you can also get artists like Immortal Technique and, and artists that really had the heart of the underground um, at the same right. time. So how did you guys achieve that balance where you could you had the mainstream respect and you had big artists, but you also didn't lose your credibility with hip hop and with the, the underground artists and, and fan base? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we basically, I mean, our thing, our mantra was just playing a balance. And, like, we always preached that. And, like, it was a balance between, you know, more commercial artists, artists on majors, and more independent artists. And we just wanted to basically get out and play music that was just dope, whether it was, you know, somebody was on Columbia or they were on Def Jokes or whatever, you know. So we just wanted to get dope music out there. And, you know, I think a lot was also influenced by the labels themselves and you know early on a lot of the majors would have their artists come to the college radio and come to halftime and come to these stations and then that kind of stopped um, once the internet you know came about and so forth it, it just majors didn't find that it was very important in satellite radio and stuff like that so i think the labels didn't feel that it was as important to have uh you know major label artists come to the radio um so i think that uh, you know i, I kind of noticed that change gradually over time and you know we had less of those kind of I don't know, mainstream major label acts come through and was that part of the reason why the show ended you know what really you know 2015 you know 2015 you know ending the halftime show such a monumental show in hip-hop what what really was the re reason for the show ending um yeah i think it was uh yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I think it's just the fact that, you know, college radio, even though it's still out there, and I think there's still definitely people that, that enjoy it, and I, I think there's still some great programming on college radio. Um, it, it was definitely, it definitely lost a lot of its um, luster, and just, it, it kind of, um, you know, with satellite radio, and I know Eclipse, you know, he was, he started doing Rap is Out of Control on Sirius XM, which he's still doing now. Um, which you know, SiriusXM may have uh, a good a good listenership now, and um, it's become more of the the thing now as far as radio. Um, uh, I guess it's not really terrestrial, but it's you know it's the next next thing. And then um, yeah, but and also just you know I think the music change and just the internet, man. I mean, there's so many platforms, and, and you know everybody has a podcast, and everybody was doing a stream radio show. Um, that you know it just got very saturated and i think we yeah i think it just kind of uh was that time uh, to move on you know and, and you look at this i mean interviews podcasts radio shows i mean you're right it's, it's super saturated how is it how do the quality ones stand out i mean because it's just it's so much for the listener to wade through and you know this this podcast has a three-hour interview with this artist this one's got a two-hour interview you know how do you wade through and, and basically you know in your opinion find the quality find the ones worth listening to without having to you know take a whole day just to just to screen all the news podcasts that have dropped 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think some of it is word of mouth. You know, I think like I don't know. You talk to people and they say, "Oh, you should check this podcast or this uh, this you know internet radio show because um, it's great. They have great artists up. They have you know it's funny and so forth." I mean, I don't know. It just kind of depends what you're into, but um, you know, that's how I kind of found out about certain shows and just kind of people told me like, "Yo, check this out." You know. It's hard to just search on. I mean, there's just, like you said, there's just so many on the internet that you could just kind of get lost and never actually land on anything um, that you really like. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, just talking to people, you know? And do you think there'll ever be, with the current climate, another show like the Halftime Show in the college radio sphere? Highly doubt it. Uh, unless something happens where, like, college radio kind of evolves to something else, but, like, as it stands now, it's just, um, you know, I mean, there's still people that listen to the radio, obviously, like terrestrial radio, FM radio. So, you know, those stations that have FM, you know, have an FM broadcast, um, which a lot of college radio stations across the country do, um, you know, there people are going to still listen to those, you know, and those, those aren't really going anywhere. Um, but I think now that people listen to music on their computers way more, on their, you know, phones way more that, you know, people are just not listening to FM radio as much, period. So I think that's just, you know, it's going to obviously inform college radio as well. And a huge fan of Rap Professor, the song you do with Sean Price, you know, the way you, the way you program the bass there and just the way that song came out in general. What was it like working with Sean P? Uh, Sean was a... Uh... He's the man. I mean, he's hilarious, basically. I mean, Sean was, uh, he was larger than life, man. Like, he, uh, I don't know, it's been, you know, obviously, you, you, I mean, you know as a fan of him, and he's just, he's hilarious. I mean, he was just a super funny dude. Um, almost like, but he could switch up, like, so fast, like, just be on some, like, serious shit as well. So, um, he just kind of had that. Uh, I don't know what's the word, but like, I don't know, you kind of never knew what he was going to come with, but he was, he was a character, man, just like one of the funniest people, man, just, and um, obviously an incredible MC, so I'm very, very, very uh, privileged to work with him, you know, it's an honor. What always struck me too about interviewing him or just talking to him off the record was how easily he could make the mundane hilarious, and just, just the way he talked, right. the way he viewed life i mean he right. had a real gift for doing that but at the same time his music was so serious and he was such you know an expert at what he did mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no absolutely i think he just had that in that charisma you know some people have it some people don't you know he was just like yeah well i think one of the most charismatic rappers ever uh for sure um or just musicians in general um and um, yeah, I think that that's part of what made him so special. And I think you definitely captured that essence too on Peace God off of Cruise Control with, with the villains. Do you see yourself doing more work with the villains? Uh, yeah, actually we have, um, we recorded a bunch of material actually and um, we had this EP, it's called Cashmere Dice and, um, and that is possibly coming out pretty soon but uh, I can't say exactly when but uh, that is in the works. So you may hear some a lot more villains coming up. Just the rim and pee. That's great. And you also worked with Drew back when he was still imaginary Drew. What does it mean to you to be with him from you know the early stages of his journey up to now and, and still be working with him today? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was cool, you know, just to see him evolve, man. I mean... He definitely was experimenting in the beginning, um, and, you know, with his voice and just how to how to deliver, you know, his rhymes. Like, and 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 Drew is a he's a perfectionist, and he's very, um, you know, very conscious of every little thing he's doing in his rhymes. He's like, you know, he would re record something, and then you know he would hit me the next day and be like, "Yo, uh, I need to do this. Like, I need to change this one word or." You know, very little thing, you know, which is just super dope. Um, and, you know, he just took it very, you know, takes it very seriously what he does. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's dope to see him, you know, it's been dope to see him evolve. And, and um, 
uh, you know, I think he has uh, good things in store. You know, so we'll see. Did you hear that potential back in 2013? Um, I know he was a dope MC. I mean, I know he was a great writer. Um, you know, it's hard to know, man. Like, you know, the way that went down, the whole Drew thing with people thinking he was Nas and, and all this stuff, like, that was just, like, complete, just out of nowhere. Like, we were not expecting that. It just happened. Um, and it was uh, it was a blessing for Drew, for sure. And I think, uh, and he knows that, you know what I'm saying? It was just, uh, it gave him a lot of publicity. And I think, you know, and he didn't have to pay for it. So it was a good look. But, you know, it it was, uh, I, I had no idea that that was going to happen or people were going to, gonna, you know, like his music as much as they do. Um, but, you know, I, as somebody that really studies MCs and has worked with so many people, like, I knew he was amazingly talented, you know, and definitely a great writer. So, No doubt. And I love the work you've done with Noid. Are you and Noid ever going to get back together? And, and do you know what Noid's working on these days? Yeah, we, we got up recently and, and recorded a joint um, a couple of months ago, actually, at, at Alchemist Script. And uh, he, uh, he's kind of working on things here and there. He... Uh, I don't know if he's, he said he was working on like an, uh, an EP, uh, but I don't know when that's slated to come out or anything like that. But uh, he played me a bunch of joints that he's doing with Havoc, which is, which is really dope. Uh, so hopefully that comes into, you know, becomes an album. album. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly, but um, I got to get you on the horn with, with Rapper, the Rappanoid, I can tell you though. Yeah, that'd be amazing. And it's yeah. great to hear how much you're, you're doing and, and you know, I, I love the sound that you're cultivating what, and what, you, what you've what you done. I'm really excited for what you've coming up. What other projects do you have in the pipeline? Uh, well, like I said, I got this Villains record um, that, that's probably going to come out fairly soon. Um, I've got uh, like an instrumental project that I'm working on. Um, it's just, you know, just beats. And then uh, I have uh, a bunch of other EPs. I've uh, working doing been doing songs with um, Huff Kingpin. Um, and uh, Rosewood, both of those dudes. Uh, let's see who else I've been working with. Um, Freeway, a uh, lot of work with Freeway. Um, so him and I, uh, we've just been making some dope stuff. So hopefully, uh, whether that's a project, uh, it's the Freeway Skiz project, or just his album, um, uh, his, his next album, we'll see. But uh, but yeah. So and you know a bunch of a bunch of other little things here and there. Um, because of some of the some of the highlights. 